Praise the Lord, everybody. Why don't we stand to our feet, bless the Lord together, clap our hands and thank Him for His goodness. Is He worthy today? Come on, hallelujah. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we honor you today. Hallelujah. Thank you for being at the Church of Omaha. Remain standing. Let's go to Psalm 122. We greet and bless all of you in the name of the Lord Jesus. And all of you joining us online, we greet you as well. To all of our guests, thank you for being here. We bless you and honor you. Amen. Thank you for being a part of the Church of Omaha today. Psalm 122 in verse 1. A song of degrees of David. I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. Hallelujah. Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is builded as a city that is compact together. Whither the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, unto the testimony of Israel to give thanks unto the name of the Lord. For there are set thrones of judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem, for they shall prosper that love thee. Peace be within thy walls and prosperity within thy palaces. For my brethren and my companions' sake, I will now say, Peace be within thee. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek thy good. Amen. For just a little while in our first half, I want to preach on this title, Longing for Jerusalem. Longing for Jerusalem. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, let your written word preach the living word in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Make my tongue the pen of a ready writer today in Jesus' name. Open our understanding that we may comprehend the Scripture, Lord. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would write your words upon our hearts, that we might apply it and obey it, to cause every hindrance to be rebuked, cast out and destroyed, and bring our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. We pray all of this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone said amen. You may be seated. Lord bless you. Praise God. I do want to just make a, a minor uh, a, a statement as we begin this. Uh, do bear with us. We're trying to figure out with the temperature going crazy and it cold in the morning and hot in the afternoon. We're trying to balance that. So if it feels a little bit chilly in here today, just, you know, we'll get warmed up when we worship. Uh, we had it a little bit too high yesterday and it got almost 80. So we're, we're you know, we're at that crazy place of fall. Okay. So just bear with us. Also, Brother Chris, I believe, is working on something in our kids' wing to make sure we think the burner might have went out. But again, thank you for your patience and bearing with us in Jesus' name. Praise God. At least we have heat, right? You know, and a building. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. This third song of ascent. Again, these are called songs of degrees or songs of ascent. This third song of ascent is written by David and his love for Jerusalem, which, by the way, Jerusalem means possession and foundation of peace. That's what it means, Jerusalem. Possession and foundation of peace. If you were to trace back ten generations before David, you would discover that in his lineage was incest. And from this sin, sexual sin came a punishment from the law of God that for the next 10 generations they could not go into the sanctuary. 
David was the first after 10 generations who could enter. His father Jesse, his grandfather Obed, his great-grandfather Boaz could not go into the temple, into the sanctuary. And so David is the first in a long time in his family line that can finally go into the sanctuary and worship the one true God. And now that might help you to better understand verse 1. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I know sometimes we post it, and I have too, on Sunday. I'm glad to go to church, and we quote the verse, and and it fits. I'm not saying it doesn't. But the true meaning of this was somebody who had not been able to go and worship, and in his family line for ten generations had not been able to go, and now at this time he was. Amen. It might help us then to understand why David loved the house of the Lord so much, because this is not the first time he mentions his desire for the house of the Lord. In possibly the most popular of the Psalms, Psalm 23 and in verse 6, David says these words, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Somebody say all. All the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord Forever. Oh, hallelujah. You see, David understood there's going to be a day that I die. There's going to be a time when I breathe my last. But he had a glimpse of Calvary. Psalm 22 explains Calvary with 19 distinct prophecies. He had a glimpse of the future. Psalm 97 and 98 predict and prophesy the second coming of Jesus. David understood some things about God and he realized, I will eventually dwell in his house forever. In Psalm 27, verse 4, David focuses his one and only desire on the house of the Lord. He brought everything down, every desire, every purpose to this. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. If you know lineage and and genealogy, then you understand David is of the tribe of Judah. And under the law, he's never allowed to be a priest. He's never allowed to serve in the temple. But it's his desire regardless. David, you're a king. And you might hear him say, I know, but I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. David, you're wealthy. Yes, I know. But I would gladly trade everything just to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Hallelujah. It's no mystery then why God said that David was a man after my own heart to do all my will. You can find that in Acts 13, 22. You see, David loved and longed for Jerusalem, the possession and foundation of peace. As one of the songs of ascent Psalm 122 celebrates the journey up to Jerusalem to worship the one true God. Remember, these songs of degrees or songs of ascent mean you go up to Jerusalem. And of course, from any direction you come, you're going to go up because it is elevated higher than all the surrounding cities around it. 
While the first two songs of ascent, Psalm 121, 21, appear to be outside Jerusalem, Psalm 122 appears to be within its city limits. Now many of us could possibly list towns that we love or cities that we love. And I'm sure if we went around the room, all of us have a place, maybe a hometown, maybe where you, know, you were raised or born or whatever. But the love that the Jews have and still have for Jerusalem is incomparable. When David took over the city from the Jebusites, Jerusalem then became the epicenter for, for Israel religiously and spiritually. Psalm 122 reveals historically the earthly Jerusalem, symbolically the church, and prophetically the new Jerusalem. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's talk just for a moment about the physical Jerusalem and draw some things we can understand from it. Is that all right? Amen. Amen. On my recent journey to Texas, there were times I could travel the speed limit. Maybe a mile or two above, but you know, I told my mom I kept it under 100. I don't know how far under, but you know. But then there were times because we were on some back roads that we had to slow down, go through some towns. And so for a moment, we're going to slow down a little bit. We're, we're, we'll speed back up. Just trust me. Just, we're, we're going through a town right now. All right. Is that all right? So David begins to express his joy. And three things he expresses about the physical Jerusalem or the earthly Jerusalem are its unity, its justice, and its peace. Watch this. In, in verses 3 and 4, he says, Jerusalem is builded as a city that is compact together. Whither the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, and to the testimony of Israel to give thanks into the name of the Lord. This phrase, compact together, means to unite, to be joined, to bind together in a league. This testified of the city's fortification, but also of the unity that was inside of the city. It wasn't just that they had a good protection and a de defensive wall and so forth. It was that they were also unified in their purpose together. And so because of this unity, all of Israel then could go safely to the city and feel safe within the city and worship the one true God, giving thanks unto the name of the Lord. So unity was something that David recognized and realized. Justice was another thing that he recognized in Jerusalem. He said in verse 5, For there are set thrones of judgment, the thrones of the house, of David. These thrones of judgment was the court system where cases would be heard and ruled upon. And not only he is the king, but others whom he would appoint, uh, other princes who would also judge, would serve with him. And that's the reference to the thrones, plural, of the house of David. This indicates that these officials were chosen because they would rule justly, fairly, and would not be bribed. In other words, like David, a man after God's own heart, these men who also judged would fear God completely and serve him faithfully and execute justice according to the word of God. Their constitution that they used and Israel still uses today is the word of the Lord. Second or thirdly, 
he saw the peace of Jerusalem. This third thing, amen, that he noticed, uh, in, that he was impressed by, was peace. In Psalm 122, 6 through 8, he says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. Peace be within thy walls and prosperity within thy palaces. For my brethren and companions' sake, I will now say, Peace be within thee. The Hebrew word here is shalom. And in fact, the word Jerusalem is shalom, Jeru shalom. And so it's why it's the possession or the habitation of peace. Therefore, the king of Jerusalem would be the king of peace. Well, isn't Jesus the prince of peace? Amen. You think, well, king and priest, that's different. No, prince here in the New Testament means authority of or originator of. Hallelujah. And by the way, he's also called the God of peace and the king of peace. In some of the 950 some odd names, at least in what I have found anyway so far. Um, so while David, though, is impressed by the peace that's within the walls, he also knows it hasn't always been a peaceful city. And in fact, uh, quite frankly, there's no place on earth that's been less than peaceful than Jerusalem. History bears out that it's the most fought over city. And so... He sees peace at the time he writes this, but he also prays for peace because he knows its history and its future will be less than peaceful. Well, all of this history of the physical city then parallels God's desire for his church. He wants unity in his church. There's not a bunch of big I's and little U's. God doesn't have stepchildren. We're united. God doesn't look and say, well, you're of this ethnicity or of that ethnicity, therefore you don't qualify. We're all one in Christ. God doesn't say, well, the men are better than the women or the women are better than the men. There, there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, bond nor free. He doesn't say, let me see your bank account and make sure that you got enough money. Amen. I mean, he wants us to give our tithe and offering, and, yet, and we'll do that. He wants us to be faithful, and we'll do that. But his church, he wants it to be unified. Hallelujah. He wants his church to celebrate justice. Justice is different than vengeance. Justice is that fairness where, according to the word of God, measurement, judgment is measured out. And he wants it to be done justly and fairly according to the word of God. That's why the, the preachers are told to rebuke with long-suffering. It's not just rebuke and, and, and take pleasure out of rebuking. It's do it with long-suffering. We're to speak the truth in love. That's justice. The pulpit should never be a place where uh, the preacher can be a bully. Furthermore, the pulpit and the platform should never be a place for politics. Mm, well, I'm getting on my notes now. Ah, remember I told you this whole platform is my soapbox, so I'm on it right now. <laughs> this is a place where the Word of God is justly preached and taught. And if there is judgment that needs to be given out, it's going to be done by the Word of God. 
in accordance to the Word of God. And so God wants justice, and He wants peace. Did you know that part of the armor of God that we wear, think about armor, when we think of armor, we think of battle and fight and war, and yet part of that armor is the shoes of peace. It's interesting to me then that the God of peace in Romans will crush Satan. We don't, we don't sometimes put those two together. When we think of peace, we think of it's not war and battle and crushing, but yet God of peace crushes Satan. Isn't that cool? He crushes. He steps on. We have shoes of peace. You know what that tells me? There's one place Satan belongs, and it's not on your shoulder. It's not in your ear. It's not in your mind. It's not in your heart. He belongs on the ground where you walk on him because he's given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. That means everywhere I go, I bring peace because I'm walking on the thing that bothered me. I'm walking on the thing that accuses me. And I bring peace to others. Our world is looking for peace. And it won't be found in politics. And it won't be found in the economy. And it won't be found in their favorite team winning. I'm, I'm sorry, the Vikings may not win today, Minister Kennedy. That's an inside joke. You have to know. That's not where our peace is found. Uh, Brother Danny, I saw your post. Did they win yesterday? Did that, that's why you're back on the bandwagon? Okay, okay. I figured that. He was ready to preach against LSU, and I told him, well, be careful. <laughs> Our peace is not found in that. Our peace is found in God alone. And when we walk in that, oh, come on. Did you know every day that you walk in the Spirit, and you walk in love, and you walk in faith, that you're also walking in peace? Oh, I'll even go a step further. I'm way off my notes now. Watch this. When I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm still walking in peace. When I go through troubling times, I'm still walking in peace. Amen. When I can't sleep at night, I'm still walking in peace. When I'm troubled by the enemy's lies, I'm still walking in peace. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. And so God wants unity. God wants justice. God wants peace in the church. When people come, they should find those things. That's what a place of hope and healing is all about. We're not going to greet them at the door and say, how did you vote in the last election? Come on now. Oh, sorry, you're, uh, what race are you? I'm sorry, no. Uh-uh, we ain't going to do that. And, and, and by the way, if I ever hear of anybody doing that, let's just say we'll have a meeting. Okay? It's not a place for it. God wants unity. God wants justice. God wants peace in his church. Not those other things. That's why it is a place of hope and healing. And so the church, to us, is what Jerusalem was for ancient Israel. In fact, in the Old Testament, along with its form of worship and its beloved city of Jerusalem, these things were merely a shadow of things to come. And once Christ came and fulfilled them, 
the shadow or copies, as Hebrew says, was no longer needed because the fulfillment was there. He's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. John says, behold the lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. When that happened, every lamb sacrificed after that was moot. The church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, after the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, any worship, any feast going on at the temple is moot. Let me explain it this way. Let's say today God has blessed about, you know, a dozen of you with, a, you know, bajillion dollars. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. And, and, and those of you that are saying, let it be so and all that, you're, you're already giving tithes and offerings. And so it's not, it's not a stretch for you to then give tithe and offering on that, you know. If you can tithe an offering on $500, you can tithe an offering on $500 million, right? And so, so the church is blessed and we give this building to the French and we build a new church, Right? I don't know where it's going to be, but let's just, you know, wherever. So, you know, on the corner of this and that, and we're there. Well, here's what we're going to do. Ready? We're going to put up a big old sign that says, Coming very soon, the Church of Omaha, you know, relocating, blah, blah, blah. Same God, you know, different location, whatever. And it's going to have an artist's rendering of what the church is going to look like, right? And, and we're going to have Braxton and Nate come back, and they're going to do a bunch of videos for us, and they're going to work with Colton, and we're going to put out some videos and some social media stuff, and, and it's going to go all over. And it's going to be all this artist rendering of stuff that we're doing and what it's going to look like. But then, grand, grand opening Sunday comes. We have our first service there. Do we need the sign? Do we need all the artist rendering posts? No, because now we can take an actual picture. So we can take the sign down because it's no longer coming soon. It's here. The Old Testament was the coming soon sign. Messiah's coming. Get ready. He's the lamb. He's going to fill the temple. Ah, watch this. When Isaiah, the Bible says, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. A train on a king indicated their victory over other kings, over other dominions. It says his train filled the temple. If you study it out in the Hebrew, it literally means every square inch from floor to ceiling, from wall to wall, it was filled. Mm, watch this. We're now the temple of the Holy Ghost, and the Bible says we're filled with all the fullness of God and so now his train fills the temple from the crown down we're filled with the power and the victory and the glory of God praise God praise God hallelujah in fact this is exactly what the heroes of faith were looking for so let me just say this for us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem is to pray for the peace of God's church. Hmm. By the way, we're the Israel of God, according to Galatians. Ah. Oh, I wish I had all day to preach this. Lord Jesus, have mercy. In Hebrew, okay, go ahead. I heard a go ahead, so here we go. He Hebrews 11.10. For he looked, this is Abram. Abraham, for he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He was not looking for a geographical location. He was not pulling up his Apple Maps or Google Maps and saying, okay, Jerusalem, Israel. Not what he was looking for. 
He was looking for the church. Ah. Verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were persuaded of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. Again, another reference to the church. Watch this. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to return. Can I just pause here and tell you that you can't live with one foot in the world and try to have one foot in the church and do the splits? It ain't going to work. you got to forget where he brought you from and be a part of who you are now. My God, have mercy. Ah! But verse 16, but now they desire a better country. That is an heavenly. Somebody say heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city in his Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. You're a city that is set on a hill which cannot be hid. He was talking about the church, the heavenly Jerusalem. Did you know you're already a heavenly body? When you're filled with the Holy Ghost, born again, you're already a heavenly body. And watch this. God has already tabernacled within you. Wow, you're not just the temple of the Holy Ghost when you come on Sunday or back again on Wednesday or Thursday night prayer or Monday every other week, uh, men, men of war prayer. You're, you're, not just the, the temple, you're not just the temple of the Holy Ghost for a revival service. Mm. Hallelujah. Solomon, who built the most exquisite and expensive temple for the Lord, he knew that it couldn't contain him. He said this at the dedication, the heaven and the heavens of the heavens cannot contain him. And we know God's glory filled that, that first temple. So much so that the priest could not minister. It was so thick. The glory cloud was so thick they could not minister. How many of you like it when that happens and the Holy Ghost just falls, whether it's a prayer meeting or a service, and you're just like, wow. Okay, well, well that's, that's kind of what they felt. But even then he knew, ultimately, it's not about this building, it's about what's to come. That's why Stephen, just before he was stoned, was able to preach and say in Acts 7, 48 and 49, Howbeit the Most High, he's quoting Isaiah, by the way, Howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet. Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What house will you build me, saith the Lord, or what place is my rest? He was actually rebuking the religious leaders because they had made the temple an idol. He said, it's not about this place. It's about the church. God never intended a building to be the end. Remember Isaiah, I mentioned that a minute ago, right? Mentioned that we're filled with all the fullness of God. Did you know that that's why, the, that's why John said, let's see, uh, greater is he that is in you. Whatever is bothering you in the world, greater is he that's in you. Hallelujah. The Israelites longed for the city of Jerusalem. Abraham longed for the revealing of God's church, the Israel of God. And we, the church, the heavenly Jerusalem, according to Hebrews 12, 22, who have received the unshakable kingdom, Hebrews 12, 28, we long for the new Jerusalem. Watch this. You see, this psalm historically speaks of the physical, symbolically speaks of the church, but prophetically points to 
the New Jerusalem. So watch this. Revelation 3.12, Jesus is writing to the church of Philadelphia, the best church, the, the one that, that did not have anything negative to speak of and, and, and was told they have open doors before them and the key of David and so on and so forth. Watch this. Verse 12, him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from God, and I will write upon him my new name. We're already called the heavenly Jerusalem, Hebrews 12 and 22, because we are already eternal beings. But on that day, when the last trumpet sounds, guess what's going to happen? The Bible says in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, this corruptible is going to take on incorruption. This mortal is going to take on immortality. Hallelujah. On that day, we will become the new Jerusalem. Hallelujah. Mm -hmm. Anybody looking forward to that day? Near the end of Revelation, John says this, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Well, this further makes sense because in verse 5 of the same chapter, he says that God makes all things new. Therefore, we are the Israel of God now. We are the heavenly Jerusalem now. We are the city that Abraham searched for now. But when he returns, hallelujah, we will be his new Jerusalem, having been changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye hallelujah and having joined him and the dead in Christ in the clouds meeting the Lord in the air hallelujah hallelujah and this is what we long for the same longing of the psalmist David for the city of Jerusalem in this historical element of the psalm is what we long for prophetically in the coming of the Lord. It's that glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ where we will spend eternity with Him. You see, David longed to ascend up to Jerusalem. The Israelites looked forward to the feasts of the Lord where they would ascend up into Jerusalem to celebrate. How many of you can say you long for Sunday to come? You long for that fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ when you can go up into the presence of the Lord, when you can ascend up into the demonstration of God's spirit and power, hallelujah, every time we gather. You see, we long also to ascend up into the glory of God into the glory of our Lord and Savior. We also long to see Him one day and literally ascend, not just a figurative or a metaphorical ascending, but literally ascend up into the clouds, amen, to be with Him. When you're justified, when you're justified by God, and, and by the way, justified is, is the fullness of the new birth. It's, it's, it's the repentance where you change your mind, where you, you, you cry out to God for forgiveness. It's baptism in His name, amen, where you are covered by that name, where you go down in the water, amen, and, and sins are remitted. And it is the receiving of the Holy Spirit evidenced by speaking of the tongues. So when you're justified by God, you ascend from the guilt and shame of your sin. 
How many of you, and I don't mean to ask anybody to embarrass, but, but I'm sure there's a few of you, if, if you were to lift your hand or nod your head, could say that when you repented that, that very first time, you felt a little bit of a load lift. You know, like, oh, wow, man, this feels so good. I, I found what I'm looking for. And even though you may have not spoken tongues yet or got the Holy Ghost yet or, or, or rather got baptized yet, you, you had that feeling of, wow, I found what I need to be. Right? It's that feeling that knowing that Jesus paid the penalty for your sin. The wages of sin is death. That's what we all deserve. But when we repent, when we're filled with his spirit, when we're baptized in his name, he's basically saying to us, I took your place. You don't have to die. You can die to your sin and that's enough. And I'll fill you with my spirit. That way you can live with me forever. Watch this. The second birth, the new birth nullifies the first or the second death excuse me which is the lake of fire that's why it's important to be born again now as you begin to walk with God living for him and and denying yourself daily and taking up your cross and all of those things this is called sanctified where you're being sanctified by God here here you begin to ascend up from the power that sin and guilt and shame had over your life This is where daily you're walking in that peace and you're realizing, wait a minute, I'm a child of God. I don't have to take this anymore from the devil. Amen. I'm going to live for him. I'm going to do this. It's where you begin to realize, you know what? I want to please him. I don't want to think the old way. I don't want to talk the old way. I don't want to do what I used to do in my past. I want to do things that please God. It's where you begin to say, Lord, change my heart. Let me be holy inwardly and holy outwardly. And you ascend from that power that sin and shame and guilt had on your life. You begin to experience and ascend into new glories and new victories. But then we're looking for, this is where we're longing for. This is, this is, I've preached all that to get to this. We're longing for the day where we're glorified. See, we've been justified, hey man. We're, we're being sanctified, but there's coming a day when we're going to be glorified. And on that day, justified, I'm, I'm ascending up from the penalty of sin. Through daily sanctification, I'm ascending up from the power of sin. But watch this. When I'm glorified, I'm going to ascend up from the presence of sin. No longer will sin be present. You know, Paul said, you know, I would do good, but sin is present with me. Right? Trying to drag him down. But on that, oh, Lord, have mercy. <laughs> because corruptible shall take on incorruption. Mortality shall take on immortality. There will be no more temptation. No more fear. No more anxiety. No more guilt. No more shame. No more malice. No more hate. Wow. I mean, just thinking about it gives me joy. And that's what we long for where we ascend from the bonds of death, hell, and the grave and are forever freed from the presence of sin. I don't know about you, but I'm longing for Jerusalem today. Not the city. I've been there. I've visited. It's a nice city. It's great. I hope before I die or Jesus comes back, I get to go again and take some of you with me. You know, it's it's a wonderful place to go see and, and, and live part of what the Bible talked about. But I don't long for the city. I long for the new Jerusalem. Hallelujah. I realize that now in this great company of saints, I'm a part of what's called the heavenly Jerusalem. 
You ever heard that phrase? Somebody say, well, you know, we got the you know, same father, different mother. We're talking about God the Father, right? You know, you know he's, he's my father, and so we're brothers or sisters in Christ, right? You know, actually, we have the same mother, too. Because the Bible says, the Jerusalem above, which is the mother of us all. So when we're born again, you ever wonder why we say brother and sister? Hey, Brother Joseph, good to see you, right? Hey, Sister Jackie, good to see you. You know, why do we say that? Because we're family. Because we have the same mom, the church, and we have the same dad, Christ. So we're already a part of the great company of saints, the heavenly Jerusalem. Hallelujah. And we'll become and join Christ and the dead in Christ as the new. That's what we long for. If you want to pray for Jerusalem and Israel as a nation, please feel free to. Certainly, the, the, there's going to be a lot of things happen in the end times. It's the epicenter of the end times. Pray that God's uh, will would be done. Pray that people would, would see the truth of God's word and become born again and a part of the heavenly Jerusalem so they can be a part of the new Jerusalem. Pray that. Amen. But we're already that Jerusalem. We're already the Israel of God. Hallelujah. I long for and I look forward to every time that we gather for worship. Whether it's a prayer meeting, whether it's a Bible study, whether it's Sunday worship, whether it's special services, whether it's a district event, I long to get together with God's people because I know there's something that gets magnified when we come together. Oh, I'll be honest, there are times I'm tired. There are times I'd rather just roll back over and go to sleep and turn off the alarm and all that. I get it, I get it. I'm that same way too sometimes. But when I get here, all of a sudden it's like, mm-hmm. and then they sing a song and whoo, something happens here. And I hear somebody over here say, glory. And I hear somebody over there say, hallelujah. And all of a sudden something begins to happen within my spirit. But I also long for the day when I hear a sound, the trumpet. Recently, Brother Keith had made a mention when uh, Brother Gastineau had passed away a few months ago, uh, and he knew Brother Gastineau, so we'd talked about it for a moment, and he said, you know what's, what's neat, Brother Powell? He goes, I don't know what the last thing it was that he heard, but I know the next thing he's going to hear, because the dead in Christ will rise first. The next thing Brother Joseph Gastineau is going to hear is the trumpet. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen, amen. Stand with me in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm longing for Jerusalem today. And like this ascent psalm declares, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the... Is there anybody that can relate to David and, and you know, the world might have told you you didn't deserve it? Maybe family members might have told you you didn't deserve it. Uh-huh. Well, you're here. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for who you are, for the opportunity that we have to worship you, for the opportunity we have to come together and be your church. And I pray now, Lord, that as we get ready to move into our second half, you would anoint us for your great purpose and accomplish your great will. We pray it and believe it. We ask it and receive it. And we declare in Jesus' name, by the authority of your word and your holy name, that it is done. 
in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. God bless you. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Bless and greet one another. Be back in here in about 10 minutes. Let's get ready for our second half.